really an honor to be here. I really do enjoy this every year. Um, and what I, this is a very interesting topic, um, recording uh, legal clinical encounters. Um, and so what I thought we'd do is touch on the landscape. I just wanted to acquaint you with the landscape as related to recording in the clinical care setting. There are a number, numerous published studies on this issue, and I was going to analyze some of the results of those studies to acquaint you with what the data has revealed. I want to talk about the legality. I'm asked all the time, is it legal to record conversations without the consent of the provider? Um, that's a tease. Uh, evaluate the HIPAA implications, uh, the benefits and risks that have been uh, identified for, with respect to allowing recordings. We're going to go through what your current policy is, and then I'm going to open the discussion up to where do we go from here. So what's the landscape? First of all, let me ask the audience, how many of you have been in the position of being asked whether uh, a patient could record an encounter? Hmm. How many of you have suspected that a patient was recording an encounter surreptitiously? Wow. Okay, well, you're right. Uh, <laughs> the prevalence of recordings has increased dramatically. It was something that was virtually unheard of uh, until the mid-2000s, and it's becoming a very common event in healthcare and uh, is a product of the current healthcare dynamic. And we're going to go through some of the features of the dynamic that are promoting this and available recording technology. And again, it's increasingly being done surreptitiously by patients and family members. And interestingly, I had my own experience with this issue. I uh, am a lawyer and I defend healthcare professionals. And one day I was meeting with a, uh, a, a physician who was prepping him for his deposition. And he was there <clears throat> and taking notes of my guidance to him. And we went through the chart. And at the end, I said to him, well, I think we need to meet again because I want to reinforce what I've explained to you. I want to do some drills. I want to really be sure because it's, preparation for depositions is critical. And he said to me, no, I don't really think we need to meet again. And I said, sir, I'm the, 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 page, the doctor. You are the patient in this setting. He said, well, no, I recorded the conversation. He had a pen. See this? This is a pen, and he was writing with this pen. But in the front of the pen, there's a little button here. If you push this button, there's two little openings here, which are the speakers, through which he recorded the conversation. And he said to me, all I have to do is go home. See that? That's a UBS. Plug it into my computer, and I can listen to this entire, entire conversation. I was taken aback. And then I said to him, I, I, I didn't know what to say. I was really tongue-tied. And then he said, no, he said, gee, I'm sorry. I didn't, I didn't say anything because I didn't think it, I thought it would be a good thing. This way we don't have to meet again. I can re-listen to it. I can understand it. I can practice what you said because we go through how to, how to explain certain issues. And I'm thinking to myself, no, he's right. He's absolutely right. But I tell you, my first instinct was, something's wrong with this. This ain't right. It's you and me in a conference room, just the two of us, talking about something that's very, very critical, and you're recording me? So I know how you instinctively feel when somebody says, you don't mind if I record what you're about to say. Because the initial instinct is, they're recording me 
to trap me. That's what we equate recordings with, trapping. Using it against me. Anything you say will be used against you in a court of law. And you know what? That's true. Um, recordings have gotten people into trouble. There was an anesthesiologist that trashed the sedated patient. Actually, the patient had the recording with them for a very legitimate purpose, wanting to, uh, to have the post-op or the post-procedure uh, uh, instructions recorded from the surgeon. But during the procedure, it's a very short procedure, the uh, recording was on. The patient, the anesthesiologist lost her job, was sued, and a jury awarded $500,000. VA cancer patients secretly records, you know, all this stuff going on in the VA, there have been a lot of recordings made of what actually goes on in the VA, and that is being used in the context of uh, not, not only lawsuits, but in, for good purpose, that is to correct the problems that are going on there. I've also been told, because I was reviewing the literature on this, it's becoming very prominent in the employment setting. People who feel they're being discriminated against are starting to record their employers in conversations. And those, those uh, conversations are being used in the context of lawsuits. So it's becoming very prevalent to record whenever you have a concern about something maybe not right. But, oh, I mean, this, this, is, this is being publicized. The appointment ends now that patient is listening. Patients are taking home recordings of their doctor visits, but who else could listen? Some of these recordings are finding their way to social media sites, into entertainment modalities. Um, so there are problems associated with it. But it has been studied. And there's a group at Dartmouth uh, that are with the Dartmouth Center for Healthcare Delivery Science, and they're very committed to, to patient-based care and shared decision-making in the clinical context. And they have been very prominent in looking at the issue of providing recordings, actually proactively providing recordings of clinical consultations. And they consider it a highly valued but underutilized intervention. And there was a, a review article published in 2014. Um, and what it did, it reviewed 33 studies comparing patients who were provided with recorded consultations with the reactions to those who were not provided with recorded consultations. And the findings were very interesting. 72% of patients who were provided with recorded conversations listened to them. 68% of them shared the recordings with family, friends, and other physicians. The audio recordings were listened to between two and 50 times. The minimum was two times. I think the average was five or six. They analyzed what the impact was on the understanding of the patients and the recall of information communicated during uh, the clinical encounter. 60, 22 of the 33 studies, 67% re reported improved information recall and understanding. The audio recordings helped recall of information on disease, treatment, side effects, prognosis, and available options, and patients often heard new information and information that they had learned in the past but had forgotten. Patient acceptance, 79% of patients had a positive perception of permitting recordings, including, and this, this be, could be important, particularly in patients receiving difficult news or, or complex information uh, in, in one setting. It helped patients adjust emotionally and physiologically to their illness. They were able to listen back and hear the reassuring words of the physician. You know, once you leave the appointment, 
you, you come back a month later, but the opportunity to re-listen to what the physician told you about, about the issues and about how they're going to take care of you was very, very reassuring for patients psychologically. They looked, some of the studies, only six of them, looked at the organizational factors and what, uh, whether, and, and one of the issues is how much longer is this going to prolong the, the encounter, you know, in these day and age of productivity, there were concerns, and the order of recording was found not to substantially extend consult time. The average one minute of added time. Now, that, that is probably realistic in a setting where it is an established practice, okay? In, in a setting where it's really not the norm, you can imagine the time with talking about whether there's going to be recording and setting it up. And, but, but in institutions where recordings have become normalized, the, they're finding that it is not particularly onerous in terms of the time commitment. In fact, in some circumstances, it actually saves time uh, because they found that 10 calls, on average, 10 calls a month were averted because patients could find the answers by listening back to the recording instead of having to call the office. And you know what it's like. I don't know. You probably don't have this problem. But I call doctor's offices from time to time, and it is like, you know, a career move trying to get hold of a physician on a telephone. And can you imagine if I could just listen back to a recording? Um, so it's been very, very well received by the patient community. Now, they didn't analyze in much depth the medical legal considerations. Uh, the medical legal aspect was limited, and there was no consensus among the physicians. One group thought that audio taping would provide an effective medical legal defense, what others felt that, uh, and that's the, you know, the, there's no, some people feel like it's very risky and others feel like it's very, it's very helpful. I mean, if you say the right things and do the right thing, having, right, it's the same as documentation. What have I been preaching for years? You gotta write it down. You gotta be complete. You gotta be thorough because that's the evidence in your lawsuit. Well, if you do all that and then your words are in a recording, can you imagine how useful that could be in the context? The problem is, if you don't do it right, it can work against you. In fact, one of the issues that is talked about extensively in the literature is how recordings are incentivizing providers to be on the top of their game. Um, so the conclusion of this study was that patients place a very high value on receiving audio recordings of clinical consultations, and the majority benefit from listening to them. Um, the practical implications this was in 2014, and since then there have been a dozen or more studies is that further investigation of ethical, practical, and medical legal implications is needed. And then the same author did a study in 2015 of covert recording. Now, the study, the 2014 study, looked at studies where the recording was um, with consent. It was part of the process. These were Covert recordings are provided to try to get an understanding as to why patients uh, uh, record surreptitiously. Um, and she notes the phenomena of patients covertly recording clinical encounters has generated controversial media reports, and this study examined the phenomena and analyzed the underlying issue. And what she did is she looked at, she performed a qualitative analysis of online posts, articles, blogs, and forums discussing covertly recorded clinical encounters. And if you want to know how the the, the, the public perceives the medical community, I would <laughs> encourage you to read this, this paper because it was quite distressing, actually. Um, but, but what she, the findings were um, that there were very strong reactions, as you might imagine, among the stakeholders in covert recordings. The behavior represents one consequence of erosion of trust between patients and clinicians 
and when discovered leads to further deterioration of trust. Confused and, conflict and conflicting responses by patients and clinicians highlighted the need for policy guidance. So then in Brit, in th this issue has been studied actually around the world. There's a study uh, from the Netherlands. There's, a, there's also a British study. This was um, published in the British Medical Journal in 2015. They looked at, they wanted to examine the motivations of patients recording clinical encounters. Um, and their findings were 26% of patients had secretly recorded or knew someone who had sec secretly recorded a visit with a medical professional. 35% would consider secretly recording a visit. 34% would consider recording a visit only after asking permission. But 70, full 77%, which is consistent with the study done in Dartmouth of patients, thought that it was a good idea and it's something they wanted the opportunity to do. Um, so, what the patients especially in ED and subspecialty consults where there's no established relationship and there's limited time to absorb information during the visit. Providers speak quickly and use unfamiliar terms. Oftentimes, trusted family members are not available for the office visit, need to be consulted, especially on complex medical and, and, and where treatment decisions have to be made. Reaching providers outside of an office visit is near impossible. I mentioned that. Um, it helps patients, actually, and family members formulate questions for follow-up visits. Um, patients in nowadays want to do their own research and secure second opinions, and so they want the benefit of your opinion, and they utilize that information when they seek out second opinions. Um, there is also, <clears throat> you know, office visits are stressful for patients, especially when difficult information is communicated and complex information, and recall is compromised. And there's, there are dozens of studies on the issue of how much information patients recall following an office visit. And there, there are studies published that show one, well, one month after an office visit, 80% of the information communicated is forgotten. I mean, that's just... Um, medication transitions are complex and require repeated readback. Think about it. In the hospital setting, right, you require readback. Because you've got to say it over and over, right? You've got to confirm that they got it right. And that's exactly what patients want and, and need because medications uh, and, and, you know, are, are complicated. But yes, this is the hook. This is the problem. Some patients are looking to trap the provider. It's a small percentage, but it's real. And then I then, uh, you know, there's the baby in the bathwater issue. There's a lot of benefits. But there's, there is some risk associated with it, and I think physicians are becoming very, are more concerned about the risk to them than, not that, that, that that's not a legitimate concern, but there are profound benefits to patients and I think to the medical community. The chief motivation to record, okay, far and away, most people really had an honest, legitimate motivation to enhance the understanding of the encounter and to share the experience with family members and others who they want to collaborate with on, on their treatment decisions. However, there were instances when the recording was specifically designed to trap the physician. That was the reason for it. They had had a negative experience before. Uh, and um, although it was interesting because a lot of physicians, and those of you who suspected you've been recorded, we're sort of able to identify those patients. Those are the high-risk patients. The patients who won't be honest with you that they're going to record you, okay, aren't the high-risk patients. 
It's the ones that have the inclination to try to do something that's somewhat, some of us would consider somewhat dishonest. But their, the, the, here's their rationale. When the patients were asked, why did you rec record covertly? I was afraid that if I asked, I'd be denied permission. I was concerned that the clinician would be affronted by the request. And, so, and the, the reality is some physicians, I, just like I was when I was told, you recorded me. It's like a, and, and, and I think that it is true, because this is new to the medical profession, the concept of recording. I mean, this is an intimate relationship we have. This is trust, built on trust. And patients, not so much. Trust is becoming a dying virtue, unfortunately. Um, a second uh, is wanting evidence of poor care. So it's there. The, the, the patients who, who believed in asking permission did so specifically because of a desire to preserve the trust between the care provider and to protect the relationship with the clinician. They also felt that the clinician would know that there was accountability and believe that they would get better care. And, just a practical matter, if you can use the device in the open, you get a better quality recording. Um, so the solution that, that the British Medical Journal article came, derived and, and came to, and this is, this is where a lot of people are, are ending up, is normalization. Recording is viewed as a threat to establish norms. And despite the willingness of some patients to seek permission, it, it was viewed as a, as a request that would be viewed negatively. So the suggested solution, which was widely made, even among care providers and among patients, was to normalize the process and develop policies where recording would be encouraged or even facilitated. It would no longer be abnormal, be what we do. And it's actually being done in many institutions. There's a lot of history of this in oncology. And even in pediatrics with um, uh, NICU, you know, where, where you have complex issues or care that you want to communicate to patients, there, there is quite a bit of data on its use in that, those settings, not so much in, in other settings. JAMA, they are fully supportive of embracing uh, patient recordings in healthcare. So how are medical institutions responding? Well, it depends. Okay, we have the sign posted in the hospital, please respect our patient's privacy, recording is not permitted, and there are many hospitals, including hospitals in this area, that do not permit, they have a policy of not permitting recording, period. Uh, then the signs posted in a medical office, I, this is in one of the, the articles, any type of electronic recording is strictly prohibited at any location within these offices. And then there's an institute in um, Phoenix, Arizona, called the Barrows Neurologic Institute, who routinely offer video recordings of visits. And not only that, so convinced are they that it will improve patient safety and thwart malpractice claims that people, clinicians who participate, get a 10% discount on their malpractice premiums and an extra million dollars in liability coverage. Now, there's the spectrum for you. Okay. Um, so, what if, is it legal? Is it legal? How many of you think it is illegal to record covertly? Oh. <laughs> Interesting. Most, and there's so much. See, here's the problem. I don't want. There are, there's two 
distinct venues for recording. One is over the telephone. That's phone surveillance. That, that has one set of rules. And the other is in person. Okay? And the rules are different. Don't ask me why. I have my, I have my own view as to why. But under federal law, uh, you, you are, it is legal to record a phone conversation or an in-person conversation without consent. One party has to consent, but you're the one recording, so you've consented. So the party recording is the consenting party. In Connecticut, it is illegal to record a telephone conversation without the knowledge of all parties, but it is legal to covertly record in-person communications. Okay? We are one-party consent. And I think the reason for the difference is it gets to this expectation of privacy. When you're on the phone, you don't know who's on the other side. When you're in person, you know who you're talking to. That's the only explanation I can come up with. It's either that or the, the law hasn't caught up with technology. Because, because I mean, when you would record a... Remember, the, the, do you guys remember the tape recorders? I do. The thing was this, so if you were recording someone, they knew it and you knew it. And now, I, I suspect that the law may change, but that's the current law. Um, so what's our policy here? To comply with the policies of Connecticut Children's, staff and hospital may not be photographed, video recorded, or audio without staff or hospital consent. So this is sort of a middle ground. And the thing I like about this policy is that it, it gives the opportunity address the situation in a context, okay? And so if they pay, now on the other hand, it probably promotes covert recording because it says not allowed without consent and then I, that's why I showed you the data, why people don't ask for consent because they're afraid you'll deny it. And there's also uh, anecdotal, I mean, blogs and whatnot about hospital administrators bullying patients out of recording and trying to talk them out of it. And so they don't, rather than cross that bridge, they don't even ask. They just do it because they're allowed to. So um, one of the questions is, what, you know, where do we go from here with that? But I think that there are, uh, there is an opportunity to find a middle ground. There are reasonable restrictions that can be imposed on recording. Uh, for example, no recording except in defined and controlled circumstances because of the risk of inadvertent privacy violations. I don't like the video recording dynamic, but again, it's again, it's a context-driven thing. If, if it's in a, you know, people like to record the birth of the baby. I tape recorded my daughter's, my first grandchild's birth, the whole thing. Honest to God. And she was a vacuum delivery. Three pulls. It, it was in Vermont where anything goes, of course. So those people are like, eh. Uh, <laughs> straw coming out of their pockets, it's great. Um, <laughs> and, and when people ask me, do, sh, sh, sh. <laughs> no, when people ask me, should I allow video recording? I'm like, no, no. Okay, um, first of all, there's so much opportunity for distortion and for, uh, you know, for manipulation, and there's all kinds of reasons why video, I mean, the same applies to audio, but that's easier to, 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 uh, to identify. Um, no recording during physical examinations. Okay, one of the concerns that people have expressed is candor associated, you know, if you, even the patient, if the patient knows they're being recorded, they're going to be honest about their drug history, their sex history, their, you know, important clinical information that they may be reluctant to share because it's recorded. 
I've had cases where I've had, I had a suicide case once where a physician never wrote down the, suicide, the, the suidality, and I said, well, why, how come we didn't document? He asked me not to put it in the chart, and I didn't want, because he, when he was going to get divorced, he was worried about getting divorced, you know, so, I mean, that's a challenge, but that happens, and, and people don't say things. He said, he said to the clinician, if you are going to write it down, I'm not going to tell you. And a lot of patients may not say that, but that's their behavior. Some people advocate recording, limiting the recording to the summary of the discussion, informed consent, recommendations, and follow-up. Okay, so you have your office visit, you have the conversation, you share the information, and then there's a record. It's not that much different from the, I forget what you call them, the thing you get when you leave the office, the, the after visit, only it would be in recorded form rather than in written form. And some people say, well, we already give the after visit, why do I need to record it? Uh, so that's a point well taken. Um, patient. Um, we could require the patient that consent to, the, to limit the use of the recording to themselves and their family. No dissemination to any other person or entity, including social media. I mean, in other words, you can put constraints. Now, you're constrained, right? But they're not. I mean, they can say they'll consent, and I think it brings some level of protection. And what it would do is if they did go public with it, it would give you, or, or showed up in court, or somehow was used against you, it would give you a very, very strong argument to, to address it, even with whatever social media site it, it ended up on. Um, and the recordings would be done with the knowledge and consent of the parties involved, and the provider would always be entitled to a copy. That doesn't mean you have to have a copy, because that runs into the, the issue of the burden, the burdens of recording, retaining, storing recordings. I'll get to that in a second. HIPAA. A lot of questions about how HIPAA is implicated. HIPAA only applies if the recording is created or received by a covered entity. Covered entity is a defined term. You're all covered entities. Okay? Um, if the patient initiates the recording and keeps it, HIPAA doesn't apply. Okay? If the institution undertakes or preserves the recording, HIPAA would apply to the recording. It's just that simple. So why should you consider permitting recordings openly, institution-wide, improves care quality, inform patients do better, patients forget most information communicated, family members, caregivers can listen later and get it right, it reduces patient calls to the office, it has shown, oh, this is another important thing, especially since patient satisfaction is now like on the report card, um, it has been shown to increase patient satisfaction. 75% of patients surveyed want it. It's inevitable. If you don't allow it, they're going to do it anyway. Um, you know, there's, there's uh, in some of this data, <clears throat> patients making complex treatment decisions have, uh, have shown to have less long-term decision regret, increased recall, understanding and confidence in treatment decisions, and it establishes, the I've always said, make the patient a partner in the decision-making. Make the patient make the decision. If you have a recording of the dynamic and how the patient comes around to the decision, that patient has then endorsed, embraced, and is invested in the decision. So there's a lot of, I mean, if it's done right, it could be very, very powerful. And I think could thwart lawsuits. I, I do. I think that the opportunity exists through the use of recordings to actually thwart lawsuits and to render those that get filed anyway because it's a bad outcome 
and, you know, there's those things, uh, to make them high, more defensible. It would show how careful, and, you know, these electronic charts are killing us. They're killing me. I mean, you get, it's all prescripted, it's so obvious, the carry forward, the redundancy. There's no, remember in the paper charts, I used to say, you know, you, you get the personality of the case in the paper chart. You did. You could see the things in quotes and blah. Well, it's, it's, this would bring back to the medical legal world, mine, some semblance of, yeah, this doctor does care. And I can hear it in the way he or she speaks. I can feel the compassion in the way they are communicating, in their, their, their expressions of follow-up. Listen, this is what, but if you have any, okay, if you have anything, I'm back to the hospital. If you have any problems, if, you, if that fever doesn't resolve, if you, when you can, you know, you, there's, a, there's much more context that comes from the hearing the voice than comes from the written word. So it could be very powerfully beneficial. Um, do it for me. No. <laughs> uh, it incentivizes clinicians to be thorough. Let's face it. You know, when you're on camera, I wear my best suit. <laughs> you know, that's what, when you are on, I mean, you, when, you are, when you know you have to be on, you're on. And I'm not saying that all of you aren't on all the time, but because I'm sure you all are, but there's a certain, I don't know, uh, heightened awareness that comes when you know you're being recorded. Oh, by the way, transparency. Patients reported being impressed when a provider was willing to be recorded. Because they see, what, what does that exemplify? Absolutely. Absolutely. Nothing to hide. I'm not doing anything different than if you recorded or different or didn't. Um, now, there are exceptions. And that's the big fear. What about those 5% of bad people out there? They're out there anyway, is what I say. They're out there anyway. Um, reasons not to permit recordings. Impact on the relationship. I mean, it really does alter the character of the discussion. Okay, it becomes more of a business thing than a professional, you know, me and you. You know, me and you. But it's become less me and you anyway with the damn EHR. I mean, I keep telling my PCP, will you look at me for crying out loud? I mean, he stands behind that thing. Really, there is a lot. Um, <laughs> can you imagine being my doctor? <laughs> there ought to be a law against that. Um, no, but it really, it really I, I, interferes with the, you know, look at me, talk to me, get to like me, which means you're less likely to be sued if they like you and respect you. Um, I happen to, I can't imagine that it takes less time in consultation. I know that what the literature showed, only a minute more, um, but I, I have to believe that it impacts that. Um, providers, oh, there's, there's suggestion that providers' perception that their care is being scrutinized is going to lead to uh, increased defensive medicine. I mean, I can, I could see that. Oh, geez, on the record, I better order that CAT scan. Really wasn't thinking of it, but you know, I mean, I could see that becoming part of the, the, the way that information gets processed, and the, and the need for testing may increase. Lack of control over the recording. It's on their phone. I mean, and, and the threat to patients and privacy, um, social media. I mean, those are real, and and it may not happen often, but when it does, it's not pretty, and it can ruin a physician's career, or really adversely impact it. 
I mean, these are real issues that, that, um, that aren't to be taken lightly. And then the cost and burden of storing and retaining. However, <laughs> that problem is being solved as we move more to recording. There are multiple software uh, platforms that have been developed and are in development to facilitate the retention of audio recordings under uh, HIPAA guidelines. There's this, the, actually, the, the Dartmouth people develop this uh, open recording automated logging system. <clears throat> uh, it's a platform to allow routine audio recordings of conversations, and it it's, makes it very facile for patients to go into the system. I think it becomes, I, don't hold me to any of this, but this, this would be one place to look, uh, facilitates uh, patients, just like you have, you have your own portal for patients. It's similar to that. You go into your portal, and you'd be able to listen, to download and listen to the, to the conversations. Medical memory is an app that has been developed. And this, there's more to come. Oh, by the way, you worry about this. A Canadian doctor is recording surgeries in his operating room because he wants to track errors in the OR to improve patient safety. I mean, recordings are ubiquitous. I tell doctors, I tell my kids, I tell everyone, just assume that everything you do and everything you say Somebody watching. There are there's videos everywhere. I mean, you can't commit a crime. It's terrible. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, it's really become ubiquitous in society. And I think you basically have to assume you're being video or audio recorded anyway. So, I mean, let's acclimate to the reality of the times, the reality of technology. And I think that being open and honest about it and communicating with patients about it and creating reasonable restrictions that make good sense for the patient and for the, the clinician, I, I think it's here to stay and I don't know that you have much choice. So, so then I say, let's do it right. So where are we headed? And I guess that's, that's where I want to open up this to a conversation. Where do we want to be headed? Um, you know, do we want to be on the forefront of progressive about this? Do we want to wait and see how the data plays out? Because as this is coming into play in more and more institutions, um, what do people think? Well, it's really uncomfortable to think about it, but it is true. It does increase the Oh, you need a... <laughs> <laughs> no, I'll repeat. I'll... Yeah, I want to, I, because this is, this is the kind of thing where people have personal, you know, they, I can show you data so the cows come home, but this is more people's personal feelings about, and attitudes, this is attitudinal. And it, it, and it to me, it, there's, it goes to the fundamental nature of the physician-patient relationship. And so it is disruptive, to, there's no question about it. And I think it really depends on, on different practitioners and their perspectives and views. So I thought it would be useful if we talked about it and get sort of a, an airing of perspectives so that when we take this back and then ultimately decide where we're going to head, we have an appreciation for people's different perspectives. Chris? So I, as I was saying, I do think it is uncomfortable, although the couple of patients that have asked me up front to record the conversation, they have come back, and I know that they listened to the recordings several times because they did come back and ask questions either through email or pointed questions. So I do feel that they got better information uh, than they would have left my office with without recording it. 
Um, I think Brendan probably has some background given the fact that we, we videotape all of our traumas, and I know that in the beginning all of us were not super excited about that. I don't know if you can comment on what your experience has been over the last, what, several months that we've been doing that. Well, you know, I think there's always some reluctancy to, you know, to, to submit to this, but I think the transparency piece is key. And, you know, if you're being upfront and honest, you know, who cares? And if it helps the patients understand what the care plan is, I think it makes sense. There's, there's some literature that's now about 15 or 20 years old where they would, they recorded physicians getting informed consent for procedures. And then they would go back in a week or two weeks, right. something like that, and see how much of that the patients actually remembered accurately. And it was close to nothing. Right. So uh, I think anything that you can do to help the patients understand is, uh, is helpful. Putting it in practice is, is, is challenging from an institutional perspective. But I certainly don't, um, don't object to it. And I think your advice, Joyce, is very sage, is to always assume that every conversation, every interaction is being recorded. That makes it a lot easier. I think it's a good point, especially with the trauma. Actually, within neonatology, there's a number of centers that actually do the video of complete resuscitations on every single baby. Um, I think, in general, I would agree with the issue of having voice recordings for a lot of times difficult conversations or complex patients. But I think one of the hesitations we all have probably had um, I can probably show you multiple social media posts that are just out-and-out out fabrications uh, about what has been going on and, and so forth to the point where in previous institutions they had to actually confront these folks to take things down that were absolutely not true. Um, I think one of the biggest hesitations we have is, is that we want to help the patient but, you know, letting that small bad apple get back out is, is one of the problems. And I've, I've seen that for the traps um, on occasion, um, but I think majority of the time it would be useful for our families. I don't know if there's a way we could actually do it and keep control of it so that I think the suggestion you made with that it's recorded within our system that they can then log back right. into would probably be the best way around that. But I don't know if you have any other thoughts on how to get past that kind of hesitation. Um, well, let me just say one thing. On the issue of if you get a social media post or it comes to your attention that something's been posted, um, we actually have worked with many physicians to get those things taken down. In fact, there was a physician here a few years ago. Remember that? Oh, that was terrible. Uh, and we got it down. So, so we, there are ways, so if any of you are faced with that, just call me and we'll fix it because these social media sites are very, very concerned about their own liability. And they understand that, that one lion SOB can destroy reputation. And so uh, you've got to be proactive, though. If you just say, I can, nothing I can do about it, it's on the Internet forever, that's really actually not true. So, so you know, sometimes you've you got to put up, you got to take a little risk, and so to, to get the benefit that derives from it, but if that risk manifests, then we manage that risk by, you know, getting it down and, and responding. And I've even uh, had a situation where I, 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 was, I had a client who was a downstate doctor who was prepared to sue a patient 
who had posted things about him, and he happened to be a cosmetic surgeon, so you can imagine that. And, well, we, we, we did what we had to do to protect his reputation. And so don't let, don't be bullied into that. If it happens, you call and we'll deal with it. So, um, but the, the, you know, it, it's, it's the risk and the benefit. Like everything, right? The risk of the bad apple and the benefits to patients overall. And, and I just come down as I, and I know you folks, I mean, you know, you, but it's so frustrating when, when, if, when you get, you find yourself, you know, trapped. I mean, that is just, there's something, you know, in, in our DNA that just doesn't like that. People don't like other people who trap them. Even in, even when people, even in criminal cases, criminals walk free because the jury doesn't like that they were trapped. There's just something fundamental about that that people don't like. But just, just so, uh, just so you know how some of your, this is, why should doctors be insulated from the, this is, this is on blogs about uh, recording. Why should doctors be insulated from the checks and balances that the rest of us are subject to? This is another example of how we coddle doctors in this society. Okay? And then there's this. Because uh, the question was raised, well, it, it's illegal. Well, if I, I would continue to do it, even if I found out that it was illegal, since I'd find more value in having the recordings than in following the law. Other people, any covert recording would seem inherently intrusive and a breach of trust in a patient-physician relationship. A lawyer, I have been consulted by several patients who wish to record all medical appointments and now do, and would like to do so openly. However, I advise them to do so on an undeclared basis, precisely because medical practitioners routinely try to bully such patients into not recording. Um, I think there's an underlying dynamic in the perceived problem. It represents patients taking an initiative as regards their own health care, which doctors can't control, and that just doesn't suit some doctors' self of sense of self-importance. Yeah. No. Uh, sorry. Well, thank you. Um, you know, the, the recommendations in general, I think they are very interesting, and this is really for open discussion. Uh, I really agree so far with the Children's uh, Medical Center uh, policy mm -hmm. uh, because, you know, there are always exceptions, and you can talk about it uh, with the patient and so on. However, I have to say that uh, this is not in a vacuum. Uh, interactions are happening with a lot of pressure, uh, time constraints, uh, interruptions. So it looks beautiful on paper, but that's why uh, physicians, when they write a note, they do the editing. That's why uh, when people dictate a note, they look at the dragon and see if they made mistakes. Uh, uh, so that's why when you look at your mail, uh, you detect that Apple's uh, translations are not accurate sometimes, regardless of the accent. Uh, so I think that if you are going to allow that, uh, it will be important to be able to review the material and be sure that the information that the patient is going to get is what you want to get. Uh, and this is something that we do all the time when we, inter uh, if we get an interview with a newspaper that you want to see what is the material that's going to be out. Uh, uh, so we have to be very careful, very careful, right. not to be the first one to get into a wagon uh, uh, that we don't know where it's going to lead us. So, uh, so far, 
so good, I have been in the receiving end of somebody who, who prepared the camera uh, already ready to go, uh, and it was a, a, a person uh, who believed in chronic Lyme disease and she was coming to a den of lions. So I was going to be one of the lions to talk about her with Lyme disease. So uh, be careful. Mm. No, excellent points. Absolutely. You know, for a while people were afraid to stop an accident, so now they had the Good Samaritan policy. Um, I see a lot of advantages. There's any way there could be something law like that that couldn't be used in a lawsuit and people would have no objection, I think, doctors anyway. Could they have the Good Samaritan policy for something like this? Well, that's interesting. Probably not. Because <laughs> you're doctors. And by the way, the legal landscape isn't going to get better for doctors here with this current Supreme Court in Connecticut. But, um, you know, it, it, it's, you know, all of these points are, well, it's not, it, it's not the panacea, and there's risk, and all these are identified. And I'll tell you how many times I've seen op reports that weren't, uh, how many cases I've had to defend of op reports that weren't corrected, and there was a mistake, because most physicians don't necessarily go back and review every report and fix the, which is a problem. So, but you're right, if things get stated or misstated or, or there's the opportunity to exploit a recording. Absolutely. My concern, Joyce, is, is that people can take little snips out of whatever you say. Having been uh, deposed a number of times <laughs> as a defendant, um, as a, in the defense side, is, is that they sometimes come back and they use just a few words you said and not the beginning and the end of the statement. I think this is, you know, right up there every day when we see these negative ads on TV, you know, they took, did you say, and they take one snip out of what's happening, and, I, and I'm concerned that if everything is recorded, they can make one little area that you said, but not the but that went after. Well, that, that's true with everything. Context right. is everything, and that's why there's a lawyer on the other side. Right. Because plaintiffs do that, whether it's in written form or in oral form. They take the snippets out, they string them together, and they say, look at this boob, and then they and fix it. So that is a exists whether it's written or audio. The difference, though, is you, you know, the, when the word comes out, as opposed to, and you're absolutely right, um, but that is a, that's just a chronic problem in this, everywhere. On politics, the news, you take one word, or three, you know, a phrase out of context, and then the person who said it has to go and fix it. You know, that's, that's, a, rea that's a reality that, that um, is clearly a problem. Yep. <laughs> oh, I'm so, since we're looking at doing more telemedicine, and I, those conversations are all going to be recorded, wouldn't this just be an, I mean, if we get more and more involved in that, recording conversations and visits is going to become a normal part of our workday in some ways, and it makes sense in some ways to extend it to all our conversations. I don't think that... My understanding that the telemedicine interactions are recorded. They're not, they're not recorded. Okay. It's, it, that's, that's just as if it, it's the same dynamic as if you're in the room with the patient. So there's documentation made of the interaction. It's not recorded. This would be, this would be different. And, and if it were to be done, I do like the, the idea, as somebody said, of doing it through the patient portal. So it's only accessible 
through the official, you know, uh, uh, so you would have, you would know what you said. There could, you could prepare addenda to them. If there's a, in fact, if, if you misspoke, you would want to correct it to the patient. Um, so, I mean, it's a doable thing, and some of these problems and issues can be contained. They can all be eliminated. It'll open up another, you know, there'll be doors opened up, but I think many of them can be contained by how, if, if the decision is made to roll this out, how it gets rolled out, and, and what restrictions we put on its use so that, and, and then if somebody misuses it beyond what it was intended for, beyond what the agreement was to do it, then they're going to look bad. I mean, that's not going to go well. Nina, and then we'll finish with that. Sure. So I really, I was going to say something similar to what Doug McGilpin said, you know, about things being taken out of context. Right. And I would very much appreciate the ability to have some so something embedded in the EMR that like an open recording function so that if patients ask to record the thing, we could offer that option instead. Because I think transparency is very important. I do child use. We have families who are very stressed these days. They want to be able to play this for grandma or have grandma understand what happened at the visit. And I support that. You know, I think transparency is critical, especially in these difficult conversations. But I don't want to have that problem of having things taken out of context. So I would appreciate that. And I think it would also, you know, you still could have clinician discretion, right, to decide whether or not they wanted to use that function. But if we decided we did want to allow recording, at least it would allow us to have an intact copy of the whole recording inside our system. So right. I would appreciate that um, ability. Yeah, I think that would be very important. And, and the other point, you know, um, is you don't have to, if the patient wants to record, and you feel that it, that it would compromise the candor between you and the patient. You can say, let's, let's talk. And then at the end, once we've come to some you know, decision. You know, words, you can control what gets recorded or what portions of the interaction get recorded. My having them is, listen, I want to be able to be, I want you to be able to be candid with me, so let's talk. And then once we've, you know, discussed this, then we can, I mean, that's another option which is suggested in some of the literature where there's concerns about people not being candid. So. So, uh, just one, one comment I think it's important for us to look at this in, in greater detail. So. Absolutely. Okay, thank you. It was a pleasure.